Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. We sounded good. (laughs) Good morning, beloveds. Welcome to you all. Welcome members, friends, visitors, Zoomers, seekers, and sojourners. It's so good to be with you. I'm Kate Tucker, she, her, serving you this summer as worship coordinator. It is a joy to be with you as we enter into this worship hour, this time of feeling and also strengthening the fabric of this beloved community. We are a congregation with a long, strong liberal history, 163 years exactly. Some of you may have been here in in 09 when we had the sesquicentennial. Remember how we gave out the pencils that said no hell for 150 years? Yeah. (laughs) Love is the spirit of this church, we say, and service is its law. This is a faith home, whatever your age, skin color, gender identification, background, ability, this place was made for you. We hold that all are precious, all are gifted, all deserve a chance at life, a chance to unfold our powers, and so we commit ourselves to listening and learning and working to end oppression and discrimination wherever we find it, within us, among us and beyond us. Today, musicians Barbara Brooks and Amy K. Bryant are with us. Reverend Andrea Johnson is with us. Andrea, who brings her many gifts for ministry 
and today brings a message about growing our souls. And Emma Paskowitz, our youth group leader, is with us, bringing us a timely story to ponder. And thanks always to John um, and to Tyler today for managing all things dig digital. So now let's settle ourselves, sitting comfortably. In our bodies, aware of the space overhead, the space around us, the space within us, aware of the companions seated near us, breathing near us, aware of our breathing, aware as we sit in these pews that the ground below is part of the homeland of Lakota and Ojibwe and other indigenous peoples who have stewarded this land and to whom we owe deep honor, ongoing reparations, and honest storytelling about this place. Let's just take a moment of quiet to breathe together and prepare. Our call to worship comes from Monica Jacobson Tennyson. What is it that calls you here, that calls you onward, that calls you inward, that leads you homeward? What is it that gives you the power to make that change, to ask that question, to take that journey? What is it that says you have done well, that asks you to learn more, that brings you to stillness, that holds you in hard times. It is relationship, the beating heart of our faith. It begins when we share this hour, these truths, this air, our hearts. Come, let us worship together. Please join me in saying the words for the lighting of our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thanks for lowering the pulpit for me. Dear ones, this morning I'm going to tell you a Buddhist story called Anger. It was written by Sarah Conover and is based on a story from Kindness, a collection of Buddhist wisdom stories for children and parents. One day, the Buddha and a large following of monks and nuns were passing through a village. The Buddha cho chose a large shade tree to sit beneath so the group could rest a while out of the heat. He often chose times like these to teach, and so he began to speak. Soon villagers heard about the visiting teacher, and many gathered around to hear him. One grumpy young man stood to the side, watching as the crowd grew larger and larger. To him, it seemed that there were too many people traveling from the city to his village and each had something to sell or teach. 
Impatient with the bulging crowd of monks and villagers, he shouted at the Buddha, go away, you just want to take advantage of us. You teachers come here to say a few pretty words and then ask for food and money. But the Buddha was unruffled by these insults. He remained calm, exuding a feeling of loving kindness. He politely requested that the man come forward. Then he asked, young sir, if you purchased a lovely gift for someone, but that person did not accept the gift, to whom does that gift then belong? The odd question took the young man by surprise. Um, I guess the gift would still be mine because I was the one who bought it, he said. Exactly so, replied the Buddha. Now you have just cursed me and been angry with me. But if I do not accept your curses, if I do not get insulted and angry in return, these curses will fall back upon you, the same as the gift returning to its owner. The young man clasped his hands together and slowly bowed to the Buddha. It was an acknowledgement that a valuable lesson had been learned. And so the Buddha concluded for all to hear. As a mirror reflects an object, as a still lake reflects the sky, take care that what you speak, speak or act is for good. For goodness will always cast back goodness and harm will always cast back harm. Thank you, Emma. When we gather in worship, we are mindful of the rhythm of giving and receiving. And one way we do that is by sharing our financial resources. This we do in person here in the sanctuary, and also we provide online instructions. Our offering recipient today is Augsburg Fairview Academy, ninth grade through 12th grade. It is a strength-based, trust-based school committed to justice, service, equity, and creative participation in our local intercultural community. We are glad and grateful to be supporters of Augsburg Fairview Academy. It takes a crane to make a crane. It takes two floors to make one story. It takes an egg to make a hen. It takes a hen to make an egg. There is no end to what I'm saying. And it takes a thought to make a word. And it takes some words to make an action. It takes some work to make it work. It takes some good to make it hurt. It takes some bad for satisfaction.
takes a night to make it dawn. And it takes a day to make you yawn, people. And it takes some old to make you young. It takes some cold to have the sun. It takes the one to have the other. And it takes no time to fall in love. But it takes you years to know what love is. And it takes some fears to make you trust. It takes some tears to make it rust. It takes the dust to have it polished. Amy and Barb, thank you for that song. It takes an Amy and a Barb to make us <laughs> feel how wonderful life is. <clears throat> so, um, speaking of returning again, for the sake of reinforcement, I'm inclined to repeat uh, with you a practice that uh, I inter introduced last Sunday. It's Res Mamenicum's Butterfly Hug. So um, I will, uh, so hands crossed over your chest, and with the middle finger, find your collarbone and slide down about an inch. Relax your hands. This is the beautiful butterfly that has landed on you for comfort and strength, and I invite us to close eyes, and now, 
breathing softly with one set of fingers, one set of fingers, just pat, 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 pat. And now let that side rest and with the other set of fingers, pat, pat, pat. And we'll reverse the other side, gentle patting. Calming. And then the other side. And then let your butterfly rest. And as we open our eyes and remove our hands, we will see if we can retain that feeling of comfort and beauty, reassurance, so be it. And so we pause together in the flow of doing and thinking and planning to simply be present together, to simply be and to give thanks for this day which we did not make, for these friends who love us as we are, for the beloved community of which we are a part, for all the blessings which come to us as gifts for this breath of life. We pause to simply listen. The first duty of love is to listen. We make a space inside ourselves so that being can speak. Because we have had another week of living and loving and witnessing, witnessing hurt and fear and grief, also sweetness and strength and abundance, And we pray for others, for those who need us, for those we need, for those we've never met but whose lives and struggles matter to us. We can take this moment to name those we pray for, name them aloud or with the quiet voice of the heart. And we pray with these words by Judith Hill who writes, wage peace with your breath. Wage peace with your breath. Breathe in firemen and rubble. Breathe out whole buildings and flocks of red-winged blackbirds. Breathe in confusion and breathe out maple trees. Breathe in the fallen and breathe out lifelong friendships intact. Wage peace with your listening, hearing sirens pray loud. Play music, memorize the words for thank you in three languages. Imagine grief as the outbreath of beauty. 
swim to the other side. Wage peace. Blessed be and amen. Good morning. I'm delighted to be preaching here at my home congregation where I've been a member since 2001 and where I received my own call to ministry back in 2009. It is good to be here with you to share the chancel with our beloved Minister Emerita Kate Tucker and our youth coordinator Emma Paskowitz. So in the summer of 2021, just last summer, Bloomington held its first ever LGBTQ Pride event. I was invited to attend as part of the Bloomington Interfaith Clergy Group to represent the Minnesota Valley UU Fellowship, where I was serving at the time, and to offer a blessing for the gathering. What I thought would be a joyful event, people celebrating their gender and sexual identities with music, stories, good food, was marred by a group of counter-protesters called the Bloomington Patriots who were concerned about two issues, the event's cost, $4,000 paid for with taxpayer dollars, and the appearance of a drag queen performer singing and reading to children at the festival. They felt that the drag queen should not interact with children because, quote, they don't live lives that are appropriate to influencing children, end quote. As I walked towards the festival entrance, I was greeted by a crowd of protesters with a megaphone who were yelling disparaging, untrue, and downright hateful anti-GLBTQ statements. At one point, the protesters entered the event grounds and filmed children who were happily listening to a story read by a person in drag about inclusion. Spewing hurtful comments in the name of religion and God, the protesters also offered conversion therapy on the spot. Their presence was disruptive, even traumatizing, for many who were attending the event. Personally, I just had not expected this level of anti-GLBTQ rhetoric, and I was feeling angry, disappointed, and protective of the community that was gathered. What was particularly hard for me was that the protesters insinuated that our presence as the LGBTQ community and its allies should not and could not coexist with their presence. To them, their reality was the only reality, and our presence posed a threat to their reality. And equally, their reality posed a threat to us. 
So how do these things coexist? So often as progressives, we imagine ourselves open to all perspectives, seeking to be curious and welcoming of diversity. And even more, we imagine that being this way is morally righteous and good in all cases. However tied as we are to an identity that says we accept everyone, this can leave us blind to our own biases. I wanted to start with this story this morning because it reminds us that coexistence is never a simple idea, much less a simple practice. When we are faced with a difficult situation, it can be challenging to greet it, not necessarily with agreement, but to simply take it in and receive it as another truth. This is what Unitarian Universalist process theologian Bernard Loomer describes as the essence of the spiritual path, the practice of receiving rather than resisting reality in its fullest possible sense. Loomer describes this task as the practice of growing the size of your soul so that you can take in ever-increasing complexity and abundance of creation. Loomer wrote the word SIZE in all capital letters, S-I-Z-E, and he put dashes in between the letters. Whenever he described this concept, he wanted to emphasize it as a growth imperative. He said, by size, I mean the volume of life that you can take into your being and still maintain your integrity and individuality, the intensity and variety of outlook you can entertain in the unity of your being without feeling defensive or insecure, the strength of your spirit to encourage others to become freer in the development of their diversity and uniqueness. I mean the power to sustain ever more complex and enriching tensions." End quote. So how do we do this exactly? In part, I think growing the size of our souls means bringing into consciousness and concern the perspectives of those around us and recognizing the complex ways that any other person's story is likely vastly different from our own. We practice just receiving this complexity, accepting it, and allowing it to be connected to our own, to impact, shift, and inform our own complexity. So in this moment, I'm wondering if some of us are doing the work of growing the size of our souls in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Personally, I feel angry and outraged by this attack on women's and other child-carrying people's rights and bodily autonomy. I'm weeping for the millions of people and families that will be harmed physically, spiritually, financially, and emotionally because of this decision rolling back many decades of advances for reproductive health, rights, and justice. And tragically, this decision will disproportionately impact people of color, LGBTQIA, and poor folks that find it much more difficult to travel to states where abortion is illegal. I am sitting with numbness, despair, and anger, knowing that white Christian nationalist misogyny has won the day. So I ask myself, what spiritual practices might be helpful when we are triggered by the fear, anger, and grief of this decision? Many in the movement are encouraging embodied practices like the one Kate Tucker helped us go through earlier. 
These practices help us in being present to our feelings, experiencing them not just mentally, but emotionally and physically. We are encouraged to resist rationalizing or explaining the feelings, but simply to witness and give attention to our bodily sensations. My wise spiritual teacher calls this practice the welcoming prayer, a practice that encourages us to focus on the action of letting go, as opposed to the passive acquiescence of the status quo. The welcoming practice helps us realize that underlying many of our intense feelings, such as anger and fear and doubt, is our need for power and control, our need for affection and belonging, and our need for safety and security. The practice can be followed by saying the words aloud or silently to yourself, or you can journal the practice. Using Roe versus Wade as an example, it would sound something like this. Step one, I welcome all of my emotions and feelings that are arising in me due to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. Focus on sensing where in the body the emotion is felt. Feel it without judgment. Don't think about why it is there. Just feel it. When we can stop and observe the emotion without repressing or justifying it, we can more easily dissipate the energy in it. There is no need to do anything. Just notice. By welcoming the sensation, we are thanking our body for alerting us to this provoking situation. Step two, I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection and belonging, safety and survival, as it relates to the court's decision. Don't rush to let go. Let go of the need to fix anything, to attach stories to the feeling, or attach to a happy ending. The dissipation of the emotion will make space for heart-centered awareness, creating the inner freedom needed for conscious action freeing us from the mercy of patterned reactions and victimhood. Step three, I let go of my desire to change this situation, condition, person, or myself. That last one is a kicker, right? I let go of my desire to change the current situation of reproductive choice, rights, and justice. But wait, don't we want to stand up and fight against this injustice? To be clear, this doesn't mean that you are acquiescing to the status quo or will not take action in the future. It just means that right now, you are focused on accepting this new situation and whatever accompanying feelings of anger, sadness, fear, and outrage that you might have. This is what Loomer was getting at increasing our ability to hold the volume of these feelings without losing your integrity or the strength of your spirit. My spiritual teacher assures me that if I practice this prayer regularly, I will increase the size of my soul. I will build that muscle of being able to hold tension and increasing levels of discomfort. 
This practice may help all of us lessen our attachments to our ego's desire for power, control, belonging, and safety. I don't know about you, but my ego wants to enact revenge on my opponents, and specifically Clarence Thomas, who wants to repeal other rights, such as same-sex intimacy and marriage. And I'm definitely attached to my physical safety as it relates to the state forcing me to continue a pregnancy that could endanger my life, physically or emotionally. And underneath that rage, for me, is also a deep grief and sadness at the loss of trust I feel towards my fellow Americans, people that I thought shared at least some of the same values as me, people who I may have disagreed with, but now I also fear them. I feel scared that there could be a civil war, and it is the other side who owns most of the guns in this country. Are they coming for me and the most marginalized among us? I'm struggling to feel proud of my country, and this is a huge loss for me. But again, wise spiritual teachers remind us that there is a third choice between the dualistic thinking and judgments of good versus bad, win, lose, either, or. To be sure, and I want to make this very clear, there is truth in our outrage at the oppression and injustice of this situation. But when we get hooked by it, that's our ego talking. What I am longing for, striving for, even though it's almost damn near impossible to do, is to show up to the work of reproductive justice from a place of self-control, compassion, and most of all, love. Not from a place of self-righteousness, bitterness, anger, and hate. Our universalist ancestors urged us to love the hell out of this world. Our eighth principle is calling us to spiritual wholeness by building the multicultural beloved community, where we don't destroy our opponent or cast them out, but we stay in the struggle until love wins. And this means for the rest of our lives. I know it seems almost impossible right now, but we can't heal the wounds of this nation by killing each other, even metaphorically. This is what makes our beloved faith so beautiful and holy and hard, for it calls us to find a third way. My wager of faith is that growing the size of our collective souls is critical for the long-term success of reproductive justice and the fight to dismantle white supremacy culture and systems. Embodied practices help, open us, help us open up spaces for relationship, for accountability, creativity, and even joy. As Adrian Marie Brown reminds us, when we are engaged in acts of love, we humans are at our best and most resilient. Doing the hard spiritual work of growing our souls will help us see, in the words of Bernard Loomer, that, quote, we love because we are interdependent, because we enter into each other's lives. We love because love does not create our, inter, our essential interrelatedness. Love is an acknowledgment of it. We love because we are bound to each other, because we live and are fulfilled in, with, and through each other. We love because a failure to a love is, the, is a denial of the other, ourselves, and our relatedness. It results in a diminution of all of us, including God. When we reach out toward the other in compassion, we acknowledge our oneness with the other.
Her suffering becomes in part our suffering. His impoverishment diminishes us. In responding appropriately to the other, we are both fulfilled through this act and life within the web of relationships is advanced." End of quote. So what our faith asks of us, what our faith imagines for us, is that somehow, right at this moment when our hearts break, we will find our way to see through that heartbreak. We will stay put, not close off, not run away, not hurt back, but keep on being in relationship, doing what we can to repair ourselves, each other, and the world. May it be so, and amen. Let's find a way to see ourselves through the heartbreak in this moment, to not run away, to show up for reproductive justice, doing what we can to repair ourselves, each other, and the world. May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.